uh, outlines on the pew if you would like them. For those of you who are visiting, we're actually going through a book called The Unfolding Word, the story of the Bible from creation to new creation. We're just kind of loosely following it, but tracing the story of Scripture, uh, for the, the story and the sun and the seed, promised in Genesis and then coming to uh, full fruition there in Revelation. And today we're going to, we're at the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. So the last two times we were in the Gospels. And last week I didn't get to say something I really wanted to say, so I'm going to say it. Please turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Romans 8. So last week when we were finishing up, I really wanted to highlight that it's, it's amazing for us to think about all the things that Jesus does in the Gospels. And we constantly talk about him healing diseases and healing lepers and casting out demons and walking on water and feeding 5,000, forgiving sins. All that's wonderful. But we don't want to forget that it's not just the things that he does, but who he is. So we don't just see these are the things that Jesus does, but who Jesus is. And in particular, even some of the motivation of why he does these things. And it's not, he's not a begrudging savior. He's a loving savior. And the love of God is really what controls us and compels us. And I just want to hear this really wonderful passage. This is what I want to end with last week. So Romans 8, starting in verse 31, one of the most comforting passages in Scripture. But in particular, focus on love. Think about love. Paul, after talking about all the riches that we have in Christ, he says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And get this question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is wonderful to meditate upon. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In other words, Paul said, nothing, right? There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's remarkable to think about. And so often we get to think about what Jesus does, which is great, and who Jesus is, which is great, but also how does Jesus think or feel or act about these things? He loves us. It was love that his own love in action that led him to the cross. It was his love in action that even now he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. It's in love that he sent us the Holy Spirit that we'll look at today uh, in terms of Acts, in terms of Pentecost. Love, 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 love. Look at it. Turn one, to one more passage, Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, this is... Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. By extension, it's the prayer for all churches. And I assure you that it is the prayer of all the pastors and all the elders and all the deacons for you and my personal prayer uh, for us all as well. Listen to this. It's just a beautiful prayer. 
In Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful passage, just to think about the, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that Paul's prayer for the church is that you would have that through the Spirit who's been given to you, which is what we're going to look at. The, the Father loves you, the Son loves you, the Spirit loves you, God is love, all three persons of the Holy Trinity are love, and you are bound and destined and created in and for love. It's just, sometimes it gets easy for us to say, yeah, God is love, God loves me. But to really meditate upon the reality of that and what it means, uh, what he did, and who we are, we're lovers. We're, we're, we're made in the image of God. And it's really something that I had wanted to, to focus on last week. And those of you who know me know I run out of time all the time. So uh, that was one of those things. Ben Phelps, stand up. New member, Ben Phelps. Thank you. And I was supposed to have Ben and Dustin come forward at the end of the service and have a reception line, and I forgot. So next week, I'll ask Reverend Godfrey to make up for my, for my error. But today, we're going, to consider that we're going to consider the book of Acts. And just remember that we're saying that Scripture makes historic claims, right? So it doesn't start off a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It doesn't start off once upon a time. It starts off by saying, in the beginning, God created, (laughs) and then what he created. And then in the Gospels, in particular, it gets really specific, right? During the reign of Quirinius, uh, in the town of Bethlehem, to a virgin named Mary, to, you know, a a guy from the tribe of uh, uh, Judah named Joseph, like really specific historical claims that we were, so it's not just wishful thinking. The veracity of the Christian faith is embedded in historical realities, and God is the author of history. So they're not competing things, they're coinciding things, that God is orchestrating all of history. And think of all the historical claims that are in the Nicene Creed. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was raised again on the third day, he ascended into heaven, according to the scripture. I mean, it's just making all kinds of, uh, born of a virgin, um, it's making historic claims. And so when we get to Acts 2, Acts as well, um, it's making historic claims. So we want to rest our faith. is not a warm wish. It's based on these historical realities. Jesus literally died. Jesus literally rose again. Jesus literally ascended into heaven. And Jesus is literally returning again. And Paul said, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then our faith is worthless, right? It's not just a good religion and it makes us feel good and a better way to live. Paul said, we're fools, and all the mockery that's heaped on us as Christians, we deserve if Christ in, wasn't raised. But, beloved, he is risen. risen exactly. Makes all the difference in the world. So we want to think about some of these historical realities today, in particular the ascension 
uh, and in terms of Pentecost. And so Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. For those of you who read Zacchaeus, it could just as easily be said they're the Acts of Christ or they're the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's really the things that Christ was doing on earth is what Luke records in his first volume. In the Gospel of Luke, it's really what Jesus began to do and say while he was here. But it's not like he left earth and said, I'm done, right? He's still doing something. He's still ruling and reigning. And the salvation that he accomplished here is being applied now by him through the Holy Spirit. And he repeatedly said, it's good that I go away so that I can send you the helper. Like the disciples wanted him to hang around, right? They just spent three years with them. They're just starting to get it by the end of the Gospels. And they're like, don't go. And he said, no, it's good that I go away. Because when I go away, I can send the comforter. And it's not Jesus pre-incarnate, and it's not just Jesus as incarnate, but it's Jesus' crucified, risen, and ascended that sends his Holy Spirit. Never before in human history or in redemptive history was that even possible because he hadn't come yet. He hadn't accomplished our salvation. It was a promise. And now that he's accomplished it, everything that Luke records about Jesus in the gospel, accomplishing our salvation, is now applied to us. He's continuing to work. He's continuing to serve. He's continuing to love. He's continuing to assure that the salvation that he earned and merited for us is actually applied to us and that how many of his sheep are going to be lost? Zero. That now one of his sheep is going to be lost. So Acts is written by Luke, who also wrote the gospel, and it's his second volume. And Luke kind of makes that clear. In, the, in Acts 1, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, which means friends of, friend of God. So in the first book, friend of God, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and uh, speaking about the kingdom of God. And so Luke is saying... In my first book, I, I dealt with the things that he began to do and teach, and now he's going to address everything that Christ is doing now. Imagine if there was no book of Acts. And so, cut it out of your Bible. I'm not, imagine, I'm not asking, telling you to do that. Um, so you went from John to Romans. What would be questions that you would have? What? Yeah, where does this church thing come from? Right, what else? Who's Paul? Excellent. What else? Yeah, what's this? Yeah, what's all this? I mean, Jesus had promised it in, in there, but they really seem to be into this Holy Spirit thing, right? So the, one theologian said, the gospel story is incomprehensible without church history. If we didn't have Acts, it'd be like a major scene in a movie was missing on our DVD. Like, how did you get there? Again, almost the whole rest of the New Testament is filled up with Paul. And you'd be like, mm, could you have introduced this character somehow? <laughs> like, who is he? Where did he come from? Which Acts does in great detail. And then the church. You know, we see uh, the church expanding and exploding. Acts is really a wonderful book. It's got, um, it reminds me of the beginning of Princess Bride. You know, when the little boy's sitting there and his... His grandpa's coming in to read him a book. He's like, oh, I don't want my grandpa to read me a book. And he said, well, 
what does it have in it? He goes, it's got pirates, it's got adventure, it's got crime, you know, it's got all these things. Like, it's, it's amazing. He goes, okay, I'll listen. So Acts is similar. It's got shipwrecks. It's got stories, uh, narrative, portions, intrigue, danger, magic, miracles, demons, powers, shipwrecks, believers, deceivers, persecution, community. It's a great read. It's a fascinating read of history. And amazing doctrines are taught in it. The author of the book, we know a little bit about him, is Luke. He was a traveling companion of Paul for a little bit. He was most likely on the shipwreck with him. He was well-educated. He did really careful research. Um, He was writing with a bias, which he tells us. Uh, In Luke 1, he says, I'm writing that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So he's writing history. It's not like you can either write history or you can write theology. He's writing both. It's not either or, it's both and. And he's writing history with a theological purpose, or he's writing theology theology with a historical purpose, but it's so that you may believe and so that you may have certainty about the things that he wrote, so that you may know and love and serve Jesus, so that you may be forgiven of your sins, so that you may rightly call upon on his name, and that you may be saved and you may have life and have that eternally. He's writing with a purpose. He's evangelistic in it. And Luke is really concerned to show how everything is unfolding from promise to fulfillment. And most likely, we don't know the exact date, but most likely it was written in the mid-60s. And this is the view that I've been convinced of. I wouldn't die on a hill for it and many other people. But the main reason for that and not later is because there's no mention of the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And if you were writing after that, it's almost... (laughs) Sure, it, it's such an event. It'd be like writing about U.S. history the past 25, 30 years without mentioning 9-11. But of course, you'd have to mention 9-11. It was radical in terms of what it meant. If you were writing and you didn't mention the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., also, there's no specific mention of it in Paul's letters, and Paul, will find out, is in prison at the end of Acts. But what is the outline of Acts? Again, when we talked before, the, the Bible was all written basically in capital letters with no spaces <laughs> in the original languages. And so they didn't have highlighters, they didn't have chapters, they didn't have verses, they didn't you know, give a table of contents, but kind of Acts 1 is a table of contents. The rest of Acts unpacks this. Uh, Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power, this is Jesus talking to the twelve. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then that's how Acts unfolds. Jerusalem is like the first five chapters. Judea is from five to eight. Samaria is from eight to mid-teens. And then the rest of it is the end of the ends of the earth. So it's really kind of giving us, oh, here's, here's what Acts is going to be about. The rest of it's going to unpack this. And notice that it was a, a promise by Jesus. You will receive power and you will bear witness. <laughs> it's not like a suggestion or a negotiation or a want ad, right? I'm looking for people to do this. <laughs> You're going to do this. I'm giving, I'm, I'm going to give you power from on high. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He will be with you and you will do these things. And then at the end of Acts, in Acts 28, Paul's in Rome. I mean, the ends of kind of the known earth 
at the time. Even more remarkably, we're the ends of the earth in Santee. Like we get, we get to so myopic in thinking of wherever we live as the center of the universe. Nobody heard of Santee in scripture. <laughs> but God promised that all of his people are going to hear him. And he's going to send someone to preach to them. And they're going to come. And beloved, we've been blessed. You've heard the gospel and you've believed. And God has been faithful to his promises. So a place that nobody ever even heard of. When Paul was done in Rome, we're now the ends of the earth. We think of ourselves as the center. We're the ends. (laughs) And it's fortunate that the gospel came to Gentiles. It's fortunate the gospel came to unbelievers and God-haters. It's fortunate that the gospel got to us. It's amazing grace through and through. And so we see it doesn't just end in the book of Acts. The church's mission goes on. He said, do these things until I return, until all of my sheep are in my fold, and then he'll come back. And so, if you think about it in terms of like a sideways funnel, we talked before about all of Scripture kind of starts with God creating the cosmos, huge, vast. And then the first, you know, 10 chapters of Genesis kind of are dealing with all kinds of people in different places, and then it starts to narrow down. From Genesis 12 on, it's just dealing with one family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, you know, there's kind of a narrowing And then it's kind of looking for a king. It's dealing with David. And there's just kind of this narrowing. Like, who is the son? Who is the seed? And then it ends up, we get to Jerusalem. Outside of center city, Jerusalem, Jesus was crucified. And then he was raised again on the third day. And then from in and around that area, he ascended. And then from there, like everything is kind of coming down to this point. Then it explodes out of this point. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's remarkable to think about. So the whole Old Covenant, the whole Old Testament's kind of, this Jesus is coming, a Savior's coming, a Messiah's coming, don't miss it. The Gospels are saying, he's here, don't miss it. What's the impact after he comes? Is that people in Santee can hear about the Gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ and believe and have life and the responsibility, hey, let's tell our neighbors as well. Let's go and tell others. Let's share others this good news about the amazing love of God, the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit, and that there's nothing that can separate us from that. Everyone who repents and believes, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, barbarian, Scythian, young, old, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I do, do you have the word centripetal and centrifugal on your notes? I wrote those to try to impress Brett Watson, who's not here. <laughs> so centripetal force is when something's spiraling around towards the center. So if you imagine, like, the old covenant is, like, spiraling around, leading to a point. And centrifugal is from that center point out. So I was trying to, trying to impress Brett. But it's not going to work. I don't even know if I impressed anybody here. But... That's what it is. It's the same kind, of, uh, same kind of idea expressed here. But we want to consider the Ascension and Great Commission and Pentecost. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll look at Paul. But the Ascension and the Great Commission, again, are historical realities. And they're intimately linked together. In Matthew, Jesus says at the end of the Gospel... 
He said, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. He said, I'll go meet you there. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, most authority has been given to me, right? What did he say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's recognizing he's the king now. He's accomplished salvation now. He's accomplished his mission now. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. We're not waiting for a day when Jesus starts his reign in some future millennium or some future whatever. Jesus is ruling and reigning today as a crucified and risen Savior, and he's acknowledging that. All authority, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of most of the nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe most of what I have commanded you, all of what I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Note this sandwich, this grace sandwich of the mission's in the middle. All authority has been given to me. Have confidence. Everything. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I will be with you to the end of the age. This is what I want you to do. It's really meant to comfort us. It's really meant to assure the church. Acts is going to show us we're constantly going to be met with persecution. We're constantly going to be met, mocked. There's going to be internal strife. Think Ananias and Sapphira. There's going to be external strife. Think of the persecutions. We're not at the consummation yet. We're still awaiting the return of the king. And so in this present evil age, no. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's troubled. You will have trouble. I had trouble. They hated me. They're going to hate you. But all authority in heaven and earth is mine. I will always be with you. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Luke, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus was talking to the disciples after Emmaus, he's, they, uh, Luke 24, it says, then, they sa- then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, all of, old, all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus in one way or another. All of it. He's, he's using three categories. The law, the Psalms, and the prophets. In other words, everything. Everything in the Old Testament is in one way or another telling about me. And uh, he said, then he said, opened their minds to understand the scriptures, which is a gift. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in my name to all the nations beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. What I want you to get here is that the very last verses of Luke are tied to the very first verses of Acts. And so the end of Luke, he's with them. He he tells them uh, that it's been written that Christ should suffer, a third day rise again, and that repentance 
of sins and forgiveness should be claimed to all the nations. Right? That's even prophesied about. And now it's going to come to fruition. And you are my witnesses of these things. And we're going to begin at Jerusalem. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. And stay in the city until you are clothed, clothed uh, with power from on high. And then he ascended and they watched him ascend. Remarkable, unrepeatable historical event that we confess in the creed, right? And he ascended into heaven. And there were eyewitnesses. It's not just warm wishes. There were dozens of people who saw this happen. It takes two people in a court of law at the day to establish something as fact. Six times that at least. (laughs) Remarkable. And then Acts opens, says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) So after he's risen from the dead, they see Jesus again, and they say, are you going to now restore the kingdom? Right? They're thinking, Jesus, are you going to take over Rome? Are you going to get rid of our oppressors? And he's already told them, look, my kingdom is not of this world. That's not how my kingdom comes. It comes through the word. It comes through the power. It comes through through spirit, not by our own efforts. And the Lord really doesn't even answer their question. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him up out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was taken up from your heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go. That's remarkable. And so they want to know, like, they're, he had just spent like 40 days telling them about the kingdom of God. And they're, of course, okay, now? Are you going to restore the kingdom now? It's not for you to know the time, it's when the king returns. And when the king returns, we won't have this ongoing conflict. We won't be persecuted. We won't have any more diseases. We won't have any more sickness. You won't sin anymore. You won't have a desire to sin anymore. You won't be sinned against anymore. You'll have none of the effects of living in a sin-cursed world. It's unimaginable because we've never spent one second of our life in that world. But that's what's coming. But it's not coming now. It's connected to now, but it's not now. It's not for you to know the time. When he returns, in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye, all this will change. What we do now matters. What we say now matters. We're connected to him now. We've already been raised with him. We've already been adopted. We've already been, we are loved. We've already been forgiven. We've already been justified. We are being sanctified, but we're not yet glorified. And we certainly don't have a resurrected body. If it's this, I'm going to say, oh, we're... I had a hat, right? I mean, I'm going to be a little disappointed if this is my resurrected body. My glorified. There's more. An embarrassment of riches. Mercies upon mercies. I still sin every day. I'm sinned against every day. And I suffer the ravages of living in a sin-cursed world. And so do you. And beloved, there will be a day when that ends. And we're connected to that now. And we long for that. We look out on the horizon, awaiting the return of Jesus with our hearts and our minds attuned to him. And he said he's coming soon. 
and we recognize that he doesn't count time like we do. Because soon doesn't seem soon to me. But soon to him is not until all of my sheep are in my fold. Because I'm not going to miss any of them. When all of them are safely in the church, when all of them are safely in my family, then I will come. And we have that confidence. We as a church can go out in confidence knowing our mission is going to be successful. Because that's who our Savior is. That's who the Father is. That's who the Son is. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what he's gifted and empowered and equipped us and called us to do. And his plans will not fail. You can't imagine Jesus accomplishing the mission for us and the Holy Spirit dropping the ball and not applying it to us. Can you even imagine? Well, Jesus did his part, but eh, the Holy Spirit didn't. (laughs) The Holy Spirit didn't actually regenerate The Holy Spirit didn't actually adopt us. The Holy Spirit isn't actually sanctifying us. The Holy Spirit isn't going to see us safely through to to glory. It's unimaginable. Of course. Of course the third person of the Holy Spirit is going to do his job, his mission, his duty, his love. He's going to get it done. It's wonderful for us to think that. It actually gives us the confidence that we have to go and do these things. If we didn't have those promises... Can you imagine? We struggle to do them with those promises. (laughs) Imagine if we didn't have that confidence or that assurance or surety that he is coming and he is coming soon, beloved. And that's good news for us. So the ascension and the Great Commission we want to recognize as historical realities, eye and ear witnesses. They matter not only for those people that were there at the time, they matter for humanity. They matter for salvation. Christ is currently at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, all authority, having accomplished our salvation. We read the passage, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Why? Because all authority and power in heaven is given to him. There's nothing that can overthrow or overpower or befuddle or even throw him off. He can do anything with a word. He can stop Satan with a word. And the church can go forward When all kinds of things try to distract her, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet, God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in times of trouble. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So then, the next thing Acts does is record Pentecost. And the main takeaways I want us to think about is that it is unrepeatable, it is redemptive, It is historical, and it had been prophesied about. Joel 2, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all predicted a day when the Spirit would be poured out. And men and women would would prophesy that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. It's different. The Holy Spirit isn't different. But in the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell people in the same way that he dwells New Covenant believers. And the Holy Spirit couldn't apply the fullness of Christ's satisfaction for us because it hadn't happened yet. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ didn't die yet prior to 30-whatever, 40-whatever A.D. Prior to that, we were waiting for the promise. And then it actually happened. (laughs) He was crucified, dead, buried, descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. That, those were all promised. But now it's done. 
Jesus said on the cross, it is massive reality to think about. And so then, when he sends the Holy Spirit, um, he's sending it to the 12. Because he had said, you are going to be my witnesses. I mean, he poured it out on more than that. But the 12 for sure. Because he said, not many days from now, something's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you the, the, the gift from the Father. He's going to empower you. You will be my witnesses and you will do this. So connect Pentecost to they fulfilled this mission. So Pentecost, we're not looking for another Pentecost. But we don't want to say it completely has nothing to do with us. We're an aftershock of the earthquake of Pentecost. We're not looking for another one. As a matter of fact, one of the ways that we know that is even in the book of Acts, when there are other, some people call them mini-Pentecosts, I would call them aftershocks, when like the Holy Spirit is given as a gift again or someone speaks in a different language again, never again are the fire or the tongues or the flames done again. That auto, audio-visual thing happened once with thousands and thousands of witnesses, right? In God's timing, there were thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost, the, the Feast of Weeks, the, the Feast of the first fruits to ha- celebrate this. And on that day, Jesus pours out, Jesus is the first fruits of the new creation. And then he pours out and creates a church or creates a new phase of the church because the church has always existed in some sense. But he creates them. And sometimes when we hear that phrase that Jesus says, you know, you'll do more amazing works than me, we don't always know exactly what that means, but I think one thing it means is never in the Gospels do we have any, see 3,000 people believe at one time. And here on Pentecost, Peter preaches a sermon and 3,000 people believed. Because he said, it's good that I go away because I can send you the helper And so then what happens on Pentecost is not everyone did all of these things, is that everyone heard a redemptive, historical, Christocentric message about the Jesus Christ in their own language, languages that they hadn't learned. So people are like, well, we're looking for all these amazing things when the Spirit comes. What came when the Spirit came was a message about Jesus Christ that went through and rehearsed all this history and said, this Jesus whom you crucified... He was raised again by the Father, and he rules and reigns today. And you need to repent and believe and be baptized. And everyone who does will be saved, and 3,000 people were saved. That's the Holy Spirit. Taking the message about Christ, opening up people's hearts, opening up their ears, and allowing them to hear it in their own language. You could see this. You could hear this. Just like you could have seen or heard the ascension. Just like you could have seen or heard the resurrection. Just like you could have seen or heard the crucifixion. A historical event. Eye and ear witnesses. Recording what they saw. Recording what they heard. Easy for someone to say, that didn't happen. Thousands and thousands of people were there that day and saw it. Massive reality. Unrepeatable. Ezekiel had prophesied that in the, ne- in, the, in the last days when the Messiah comes, it said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness and from your idols. 
I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's a unique time in redemptive history. The Holy Spirit was helpful to the saints in the Old Covenant, but they weren't indwelt and adopted in the same way. And they, not all of them were. You remember like the Spirit coming on and off of Saul. The Spirit will never come on and off you or in and out of you. You are permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit, those of you who belong to him. It's not like he gets inside Dustin and says, Ooh, there's more cleanup work to do here <laughs> than I possibly imagined, right? So I can't do it, I'm done. No, 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 Dustin belongs to the Lord. Dustin has been regenerated. That reminds me of my five minutes. I still don't know how to make it quiet. Maybe one of you young people can show me. (laughs) Back to Dustin. (laughs) So Dustin has been forgiven. Dustin has been justified. Dustin has been adopted. Dustin is loved. Dustin is being sanctified. Dustin will be glorified. It's not like he's going to come on him like he did with Saul and then leave. No, no, no. There's nothing in all of creation that can separate Dustin from the love of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And that's true of you. Put your name in there. All of you who know him and call on him. And that's the, that's the reality. That's wonderful for us to know. That's so freeing and lovely for us to be able to know. And then also should be humbling to us. Dustin and I are equally ruined. At the foot of the cross, it would be foolish for us to say, well, Look what I'm bringing. What we're bringing is our sin and our misery. What we're bringing is our guilt and our condemnation. (laughs) At the foot of the cross, we're all leveled. But then Jesus comes and says, I forgive you. I declare you righteous. I adopt you. I love you. And the Holy Spirit causes us to be able to say that. It's through the Holy Spirit that we can call on God as Father. It's through the Holy Spirit that we confess our sins. It's through the Holy Spirit that we can do anything. And it's the same Holy Spirit that was back here in creation. Think about it. The Holy Spirit that hovered over the deep in creation, the Holy Spirit that was with the people of Israel, the Holy Spirit that um, helped uh, through Jericho and all of the conquest, the Holy Spirit that was with Jesus in the wilderness, the Holy Spirit that was poured out on Pentecost is the exact same Holy Spirit that dwells in you. The third person of the Holy Trinity He can't fail. He won't fail. He won't fail you individually, and he won't fail the church collectively. That gives us so much power and so much confidence and so much humility and so much joy as we go out. And the last thing that I want to to highlight about this is something that Steve Baugh, one of my professors, said to me in class, and I'll never forget this because I never thought about it. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And people get sidetracked by so many things in that passage, but what Steve Baugh said is, don't miss who's now baptizing you. John said, I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's remarkable to think about. This one, 
the one who died for me, the one who rose for me, the one who ascended for me, the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father, the one who's currently interceding for me, he sends the Spirit. He's the one who baptizes me with the Spirit. Not John, not even your pastor here, you know, applies the water, but it's God, it's Christ who baptizes you in and through the Holy Spirit. That's remarkable to think about. Jesus, crucified, risen, ascended, ruling and reigning, baptizes and sends his spirit to all of his children. And they come. They hear his voice and they come. Isn't that lovely? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you We thank you for your amazing grace and for your amazing love. We thank you that you didn't leave us in our sin and misery. We thank you that you didn't gloss over it, but that you sent your own son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin. And we thank you that he willingly came because of his great love for us, manifested in laying down his own life. And then he took it up again because he's more powerful than Satan and sin and death and sickness. And we thank you that he has now risen and ruling and reigning, and all authority has been given to him, and we have that confidence. And we know that there's nothing that can separate us from your love in Christ through your Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, not just the gifts of the Spirit, for which we're thankful, but the Holy Spirit himself is a gift. And that the third person of the Holy Trinity has taken up permanent residence inside of us. He's regenerated us. He has adopted us. He indwells us. He's sanctifying us. He created faith. He's nourishing faith. He's conforming us more and more to the image of Jesus. And we long for the return as we look on the horizon. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And all God's children said,